If you'd open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 9 tonight, they won't be having sandwich night in the tribulation, that I can tell you. And it may not be, we have long in the church age left, so let's bring those sandwiches because I sure like eating them. And it's two weeks from tonight, we'll be having it after the evening service. You follow along as I read Revelation 9, 1 to 13, then the fifth angel sounded And I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the inspired scriptures. We thank you for this book of Revelation. It is obvious that you want us to know this truth. You've given this book to the churches, and we know that the church isn't even in this part of things that are happening prophetically, but you still have given this book to the churches because you want us to know this truth understand it, defend it, proclaim it, believe it, and I pray you'd do all of that in our lives tonight. We'll thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. There are many people who think that hell is going to be a party place where everybody's just going to have a good time forever, but let's be real clear on the point from a biblical perspective. Hell is going to be a place of eternal burning. It is going to be a place of eternal weeping. It is going to be a place of eternal gnashing of teeth. It is going to be a place of eternal wailing. It will be a place of eternal torment. It will be a place of eternal darkness, and it will be a place of eternal torture. It's not going to be a place where people are going to have a good time. And many people also think that demons are nice little friendly angelic beings whose goal it is to empower people so they can experience good things in life. There are some who think, well, there are bad demons and there are good demons. There are white witches, there are black witches, but that's a lie. The fact is, Satan and demons hate all humans who've been created in the image of God, and their goal is to destroy them. And the only thing that's preventing that from happening right now is the restraining work of the sovereign God. Now, demons want to torture and kill people. Demons prop people who want to commit suicide. In fact, I'm convinced behind the suicide there is demonic action. Demons are not people's friends. 
They are evil, satanic, fallen angels that are out to destroy everyone and everything that they can, especially that which is connected to God. And I want us to always remember that point. No demon can act independently of the sovereignty of God. This judgment is an authorization that is coming by the sovereignty of God in the tribulation, and it is the judgment in which God uses demons. What we see here is that this fifth trumpet judgment is a woe judgment in which God sovereignly authorizes a demonic force to so attack and inflict people they'll want to kill themselves. Now, the last three trumpet judgments are the worst. In fact, in Revelation 8.13, they are specifically identified as the final three woe judgments. God himself is the one making this classification of these tribulation judgments. Grant Osborne observed that the two trumpet judgments of Revelation 9 are three times as long as the first four trumpet judgments put together. These two trumpet judgments, we learn a lot about demons. There's a lot to learn about them in Revelation chapter 9. In this fifth trumpet judgment, demons torture people. In the sixth trumpet judgment, as we'll see, Lord willing, next Sunday night, demons kill people. Now, there are six observations that we want to make as we go through this part of the book of Revelation. First of all, this fifth trumpet judgment is a woe judgment. It's the first woe judgment. And we read from verse 1, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to earth. And then you'll notice down in verse 12, the first woe judgment is passed. So this is a woe judgment. This is the worst kind of judgments in the book of Revelation. It's the worst kind of tribulation judgment. By virtue of the fact it's a woe judgment, it's as bad as it can possibly be. And when you have two more woe judgments that follow this judgment, it's only going to get worse. And you do not want to be on this earth when Jesus Christ is pouring out this judgment. Woe judgments are extremely severe judgments. They are horrible. They bring horrible things against people on earth. People are the targets of these judgments, and they will be the target of this woe judgment. The second observation we make is the fifth trumpet judgment is inaugurated by an angel. We see in verse 1, and the fifth angel sounded. The judgment is authorized out of heaven by one of God's good angels. And that must be a pretty humiliating moment for demons to admit and demons to realize that they can only do what they're permitted to do out of heaven. That must be a very humbling thing and very destructive to the pride of Satan and his angels to realize we can't do anything without God's divine permission. We can't even attack people without God's divine permission. And God has to permit us to attack something, and they are subject to his only angels. That is why you read in the Bible, don't spend your time fearing Satan, and don't spend your time fearing demons, spend your time fearing the Lord. In both the Old and the New Testament, we read that, fear God. God's the one to be reverenced. God is the one to be feared because he controls the angels, everything they can do, including Satan and his demons. Now, the third observation is the fifth trumpet judgment features a star that has fallen from heaven. I want you to notice verse 1, I saw a star from heaven which has fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to, notice the pronoun, him. A star falls from heaven, the key is given to him. Now, many who twist the Bible and take this completely out of context say this is a reference to Muhammad, who descended from heaven with his Islamic concepts, which came out of heaven, which is totally ludicrous, because if you actually think that, then what you would have to admit, this isn't a nice little fairy tale religious story about a religious leader. This is a tribulation judgment of God. 
We know from the first chapter in the 20th verse that the seven stars were identified as being seven angels of the seven churches. And since the church age is now over, we may assume that the reference to the star is a reference to some heavenly angel, and there are four facts that we may observe about this that prove it. First of all, the star is given a key, a key to a bottomless pit. Well, you can't give a key to a planet. You have to give a key to someone that is actually a real type of person. Secondly, the star is given to one who has personal pronouns. It's him and he, not it. I saw a star which had fallen from heaven, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Verse 2, he opened the bottomless pit. So it's him and he, not an it. And that refers to a person. Thirdly, the star acts in a personal way. He opens the pit. And you can't have a planet that's coming down and somehow mysteriously opening a pit. And finally, the star is identified with a specific name. He has the name of Abaddon in Hebrew and Apollyon in Greek. And the names mean destruction or one who destroys. So, based on those observations, we conclude that this is a very high-ranked fallen angel in Satan's demonic army. I don't believe this is an angel from God. He's an angelic demonic leader in Satan's forces. And the text says he had fallen to the earth. It's a perfect tense verb, which means he had fallen at some point in the past and he continues to be a fallen angel. Now we know from Revelation 12, 4, and we'll see that when we get to that chapter, that when Satan fell, he took one third of the angels with him. And we also know that the angelic fall occurred before Satan tempted Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. We know that when God created the heavens and the earth and God created the sun, the moon, the stars, and vegetation, we know that the angels of heaven rejoice, so there doesn't appear to have been a fall prior to that. We suspect when God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, When God made that statement in regard to the Trinity and not Satan, that's what prompted Satan to declare, I'll make myself like the Most High God. When God made the statement, I'm going to create man in our own likeness, then that's what really triggered the pride and arrogance of Satan for Satan to say, I will be like the Most High God. Now, a very important point to see here is that God knows every fallen angel by name. He uses them for his sanctioned purposes In all reality, Satan and his demons are nothing more than puppets in the sovereign hand of God. They hate what I'm saying to you right now. When this goes out all over the world, they're going to hate that. But the reality of it is, Satan and his demons are nothing more than puppets in the hands of a sovereign God, and they can only do what he permits them to do. Now, the fourth observation is the fifth trumpet judgment features a demonic angel who opens a bottomless pit. We see in verse 1, a key of a bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit. Now, this bottomless pit is no fun place. It is a pit that is deep, bottomless. It's dark. It's demonic. And the thing that begins this is this angel is given a key to open this pit. Whatever this high-ranking angel is doing is what he's permitted to do. He can't just go to the pit and open it when he wants to. And I'm sure, believe you me tonight, if he could do it, he would open that pit right now and release the demonic forces of hell to come in and attack the world. But he can only do what God divinely permits him to do and authorizing him to do. Now, we know from Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 that the keys of death and Hades and hell are in the hands of Jesus Christ. 
And apparently at this point in the tribulation, the Lord Jesus Christ authorizes this particular angel to have a key to this bottomless pit. And he gives them this at this point in the tribulation, which is two and a half years approximately into the tribulation. We're moving toward the third year in the tribulation. So it's about at this point where Jesus Christ authorizes that angel to give him that key. And the key is to a bottomless pit. It's the word abyss or abyssas in Greek. And the Greek word literally means boundless, bottomless. It's a pit like a well. And the way that this language is written would indicate that this is an actual prison type of place that houses several demons. This is a place of demonic incarceration. It's kind of like a temporary holding cell for a certain number of demons. And the Bible speaks to this eerie place now and then. I mean, we get some glimpses of the kind of place this is in various passages. For example, in Luke chapter 8, when Jesus cast the demons, that legion, out of that man in Luke chapter 8, those demons begged Christ, don't send us to the abyss. Don't send us there. We don't want to go there. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, we learn from Peter's writing that those angels have been put into the pits of darkness until time of judgment, so it's a dark place. And according to Jude chapter 6, angels that did not keep their own domain or estate were put into this place where they're kept in eternal bonds until the judgment. So what I would collectively assume from those passages is certain demons have been bound to this place ever since the flood, ever since they cohabited, as it were, with humans. And this is apparently an arsenal of demons who have been sentenced to this bottomless pit, and they cannot get out of there. They can't get out of there. They're locked in there. And they can't get out of there until God sovereignly permits it. And obviously, at this point in the Great Tribulation, God is going to release the vilest of demons. I mean, these are going to be the worst. We're seeing horrible demonic things take place right now, but that's nothing compared to when these vile, evil, powerful demons are going to be released as part of this wrath judgment. Now, the fifth observation is the fifth trumpet judgment will feature a very visible cosmic sign. I want you to notice in verse 2, he opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came the locust upon the earth. Now when this angel opens up this pit, I'm telling you the world's going to realize something's going on here. And even before the demons are released, they're going to realize something is going on here that's eerie stuff. Their smoke, like that of a great furnace, is literally going to rise from this place. The result is the sun and the air are going to be darkened. And keep in mind, things are already dark. He's cut off light by a third. We saw that in the last judgment we looked at last Sunday night. So a third of the light's already gone. So now you have this smoke that's descending up from the earth, and that's going to make things even more eerie. And this smoke moment was specifically alluded to by the Apostle Peter in his prediction that this was ultimately going to lead to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 19, And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, and fire and a vapor of smoke. A vapor of smoke is going to occur as some eerie type of judgment in the tribulation prior to Jesus Christ coming to establish his kingdom. 
Now, the phrase smoke of a great furnace means that this is a hellish place of fire. Many theologians who have studied this believe this place is literally located in the center of the earth. And it's very possible that it is because the smoke is going to rise up from someplace. And we would assume that this abyss or this hellish place is located somewhere near the center of the earth. And the idea that hell is some Shangri-La party existence where friends are just meeting is nowhere found in the Bible. Hell is a scary, dark, evil place where people burn. And I want you to notice carefully when this judgment occurs, it doesn't come from above. And that's where judgments have been coming from thus far in the tribulation. God has been sending one judgment after another, cataclysmic judgments that have been coming right out of the sky. People have been looking up into the air, into the sky, talking to God, fall on us, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. But this one comes from below. So what that signals is something is coming. When this smoke just starts uh, smoldering up, people are going to realize there's something here that's just not normal. And also observe, when the satanic forces invade the world, things are going to be dark, light's going to be lost, things are not going to be clearly seen. They never are when Satan's at work. See, Satan is the one who just darkens things. He hides truth, twists truth. I mean, there's no light that he shines into anything. He's the author of lies. He's a deceiver, and he's out to deceive the whole world. Now, that brings us to the sixth observation. The fifth trumpet judgment will feature a demonic invasion of locust. Verse 3, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth. Out of the smoke came locust upon the earth. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're living in a time when every cell door of every evil criminal that's on this earth right now is open and they're let go. Which in part is somewhat happening in certain situations. But I want you to imagine a time when all over the world, every serial killer, every murderer, every bank robber, every child molester, every criminally insane person, every rapist, every gang member has their cell door open and the order is, you're free to go. Go out there and do anything you want to do. That, in essence, is small compared to what's going to happen here. Throughout the Old Testament, the locusts are used by God in very destructive judgments. God used locusts as a plague in the judgment that he carried out in Egypt. Albert Barnes said that locusts present the most striking symbol of all when it comes to the devouring army. Joel predicts that God will use locusts in judgment in the time he called the day of the Lord. According to Dr. Fritz Reinecker, locusts could travel in a column of 100 feet deep up to four miles in width. And they move into a cultivated area. They strip the land bare of all the vegetation. What we learn from verse 3 is that these locusts have power of scorpions. Now, a scorpion is a lobster-type creature that's about four to five inches long. It has a claw on the end of its tail. It secretes a poison which gives intense pain. In fact, children can actually die from a scorpion's sting, but most adults don't die. Those who've been stung by a scorpion experience say the place where they're stung becomes inflamed, the skin hardens and it becomes red, you have intense pain that follows, people experience chills, they live with a burning sensation that includes sweating and shivering, and the sensation is like they're being pricked by needles. 
Now, these demons are going to appear as demonic scorpions, and there are two facts that are brought out about them. First of all, they have specific limitations. You'll notice in verse 4, they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. God says, I'm releasing these demons from this hellish abyss. And I'm going to let them, as part of my judgment in the tribulation, go out and do what I'm authorizing them to do, but I'm putting six limitations on them. Number one, they can't hurt the grass of the earth. Number two, they can't hurt the green vegetation of the earth. And number three, they cannot hurt any tree. Now, the three things that he names there are things that locusts normally hurt. And the three things on the list there are things that locusts normally destroy. They go through fields and destroy this kind of stuff. But in the tribulation, God says, no, I'm not using these demons for that. I'm not using them to go into fields like they normally would and destroy crops. Now, in the first trumpet judgment in Revelation 8, 7, God himself already demolished one-third of the trees, vegetation, and grass. This fifth trumpet judgment will feature demons that do some very unusual and unnatural things, but not to the grass or the vegetation or the trees. Now, the fourth limitation is they can only hurt those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Verse 4 says, and you can only hurt the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. We know from Revelation 7.3 and 14.1 that already 144,000 Jews have been sealed. 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel have been sealed. It's also probable that there will be those who will believe in the Lord at this particular time, who are still alive at the tribulation, we know from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 2 Timothy 2.19 that every believer is sealed by God. We know that in the Egyptian plagues that God would not allow those plagues to touch his people if they saw the blood on the doorpost, that when that death angel went through the camp, they could not be touched. And this is very important to grasp here because what you learn here is what God permits Satan to do here is attack his own people. He cannot touch the property of God. Satan and his demons are actually attacking people who actually in the tribulation are on his side. Look, uh, these satanic hellish demon forces, by the way, are going to go right into a person's house. They're not going to be able to hide from these demons. They're going right in there after them. So if they think they're going to hunker down some way and get away from this, they aren't going to escape it. But every person needs to understand this point because people need to grasp this point. Satan is not the friend of sinners. Satan is their worst enemy. Satan does not want what's best for people. Satan wants what's worst for people. Satan is not loving and kind. He's a hateful liar and murderer. He does not want people enjoying heaven with God. What he wants are people burning in hell with him. And so when God allows this part of the tribulation to go forward, he allows these demons to only attack those who are on Satan's side. Which brings us to the fifth limitation. They can only torment people, but they can't kill people. Verse 5 says, but you're not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. The word torment has to do with torture. We're talking here about torture. 
We're talking about intense physical torment and torture. And the word means to put someone under such a torturous situation that they are in complete distress. They have no relief in their mind. They're in total distress. These demons would love nothing more at this point than start killing people and filling up hell. That's what they would love to do at this point. Just start killing one person after another and putting them into hell. They're not permitted to do it. What they're permitted by God to do in the tribulation is to torture people. And remember, these demons have come out of the pit of burning hell. That's where they want everybody to go. That's where they want to see all people go. But fortunately, God prevents them from doing that. Fact is, according to verse 6, people will actually want to die, but they can't because of the sovereignty of God. And I would assume somebody gets their hand on a glass of strychnine and drinks it and won't kill them. I would assume that during that time, if somebody gets their hand on some type of weapon and they want to die, God won't let them. See, I am convinced that God permits people to live. God permits people to die. I don't understand the mysteries of how that works with every single individual, but I do believe God's sovereign hand is in it. I've known of people who've attempted suicide and it didn't work. And you have to say, well, who decided if it works, if it doesn't work? I mean, who makes the determining call in all of that? Well, it ultimately comes down to the sovereignty of God. You're in a time right here when most people on this earth would rather die and go to burning hell than repent and turn to Jesus Christ, and God won't let them. Which brings us to the sixth limitation. They can only torment people for a restricted time. Verse 5 says they can only torment for five months. Demons are only permitted to hurt people for five months. That's about 150 days. So for 150 days or five months of the tribulation, people are going to live in this agony that is part of the tribulation judgment. They're not going to be able to run away from it and escape it. This is all part of a judgment package that's coming directly from the Lord. Now, the second fact is these demon locusts have a specific description. It's an odd description. God, in verses 7 to 11, gives an appearance of what they look like, a resemblance that they have. If you're looking at this demonic army, John must have seen this, and John's writing this, and it must have stood out to him. This is not like a normal locust here. I mean, when John is looking at this, he's going, this is way beyond the norm. In fact, the comparative adverb like means they are not exactly locusts, but they're kind of like locusts. But boy, this demonic army is way beyond anything that John had ever seen. There are nine descriptions that he gives of this army. First of all, they're like horses prepared for battle. Verse 7, the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. Now, a battle horse charges into war with no fear. We learn that from the book of Job. This demonic force will be fearless. It will be well-organized. It will be well-fitted. You know, when we used to hunt in the mountains, and you would be deep in the mountains, and you'd hunt till just about dark, and you'd climb on the back of that horse, I'm telling you, that horse wanted to go back to camp. And you had a hard time holding those reins. That horse was off, and it kept picking up the pace. It wanted to get there. That's the way I see this described here. These horses are straining at the bit to get going here with this. They're like horses prepared for battle. Secondly, they have crowns of gold on their heads. That's what we learn in verse 7. They appear to have crowns of gold. Now, the noun for crown is Stephanus, so it's not talking about royalty crowns. These aren't royal angels of God. These are demonic angels. But they are given a victory moment here in the tribulation. And what they're going to do here, there's going to be no medicine or special vaccination that people can receive that's going to stop them or defeat them or that's going to cure this. 
The third description of them is they have faces like men. That's what we see in verse 7, faces like men. Now that's a very unique force that can take on the form of the appearance of a man. They will think, I understand, with faces like men, they'll be able to communicate. They'll be able to talk. I mean, this is not your normal locust bugs here. The fourth description, they have hair like women. Verse 8 says they had hair like the hair of women. Now, most militaries that I've ever studied about were militaries that, generally speaking, featured guys with short hair. Even the Roman military looked like you put a bowl on their head and cut their hair, but it did look like they had short hair. Warriors, for the most part, even in ancient times, kept their hair short. This hair is going to have a feminine, pretty look about it. A feminine, pretty flow to it. It'll be kind of silky looking. It'll be kind of womanly looking. Albert Barnes said he thought, although they're warriors, they have somewhat of an effeminate look to them. And I don't think that's a coincidence because Satanist demons are behind all of this same-sex transgender stuff. This isn't of God. I mean, Satan and his demonic forces are behind this. It comes straight out of the pit of hell. And their look that they have here with these flowing hair look, probably people will think, oh, isn't that nice? They're kind of nice to look at. I mean, they're probably going to be our friends. They'll be anything but their friends. Which brings us to the fifth description. They have teeth like lions. Verse 8 said, their hair was that of women. Their teeth were like the teeth of lions. It'll be a dangerous demonic group. Their bite will be so painful and infectious that no tetanus shot will be able to do anything to cure it. They'll have this gentle appearance, but they are as vicious as can be, and that's the way it is in the demonic world. They want to appear to be people's friends. What people don't realize is that the demonic world is no one's friend. The demonic world is satanic. It'll rip people to shreds, and they will do that at this point in the tribulation. Now, the sixth description is they have breastplates of iron. That's what we read in verse 9, breastplates of iron. Very dangerous demonic group. They won't be able to be stopped. They're impenetrable. They will be powerful group that will be difficult to stop because they're well protected. They aren't going to be afraid of anyone or anything, and they will not be tender-hearted to anyone either. They will be like iron, iron that's on a mission, and their mission is to hurt as many people as they can. The seventh description is they make sounds like chariots. That's what we read in verse 9. And they make sounds like the sounds of chariots and of many horses rushing to battle. Now, I understand what they mean by that is they are going to be an army that will be capable of making scary noises. I mean, people will see them coming. They'll see the look they have. They'll hear them coming. And they'll realize there's not a thing we can do to stop this for five months. These demons are going to crawl all over the world that's remaining and going to carry out this mission. The eighth description is they will have a sting in their tail. That's what we read in verse 10. They have sting in their tails like scorpions and stings in their tails in their power to hurt men for five months. They do have poison and the ability to inflict pain. In fact, I found that word sting, interesting in Greek. It refers to a sharp instrument that's like a prod of an animal. It's going to be a real sharp, piercing type of sting that they're going to be able to give to an individual, and it will inflict that individual for five months. The words hurt and torment that are used there in verse 10, that they can hurt men and they can torment men, are words that actually refer to the fact that they're going to hurt people and treat people horribly and they're not going to be able to get away from the pain that they're experiencing they're going to sting and punish people 
And finally, they have a demonic leader. Verse 11, they have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. Now, the main leader of this demonic army is given a name, Abaddon in Hebrew and Greek, it's Apollyon, and both names mean destruction, that which destroys. Now, as we saw in verse 6, the response of men to these demons is that they want to commit suicide. But I want you to notice down in verse 20, and we'll look at the second half of this, Lord willing, next Sunday night, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works. This is the thing about these people. This is how evil the world is. These people would rather commit suicide than repent. And I may say this, the desire for someone to kill themselves is not from God. The desire for someone to kill themselves is coming from a dark world. It's not coming from the world of God. It's coming from the world of demons and Satan. Suicide is a satanic work. Now, God sovereignly determines who he permits to succeed at it. We certainly see that here. But it certainly is not something that comes from God. It has always bothered me. And we've been involved in people that have done this. It's always troubled me because I'm thinking, well, if things are that bad, why don't you try turning your life over to the Lord? What do you have to lose on that? I mean, why don't you just turn to the Lord? I'm telling you, people can get so hard-hearted and hard-headed that they'll do anything but turn to the Lord, including kill themselves. Verse 12 ends the section by saying, this is just the first woe judgment. And there are two more yet to come, and those two that are yet to come are worse yet. Now, one question that probably would go through your mind is why in the world would God want us to know this? Well, we're not going to be here for any of this. We'll be long gone. Thank God for that. We'll be long gone. But why would God want us to know it? Well, first of all, it's the truth. God wants his people understanding his program. God wants his people understanding his truth. God wants his people defending God's character. God is a God who offers salvation, but he's not a God of total toleration. A person who rejects Jesus Christ is going to pay a severe, severe price. Number two, he wants us to know that there will come a day when he's going to pour out his wrath, and there will come a day when he will take vengeance on God mockers, Christ rejectors, Bible haters, and Israel mockers. There's going to come a day when God is going to settle that. There will come a time frame when the whole emphasis of God will be, I'm going to pour out my wrath, I'm going to pour out my vengeance on people who've made things miserable for them, and he wants his people to know that. Thirdly, he wants his people to understand what they've been saved from. I mean, we who know the Lord Jesus Christ never have to worry about this. I mean, we are not appointed to wrath. We're going to go to be with the Lord before any of this stuff even happens. So we're not appointed to wrath. We'll be there like John. John's already in heaven. He's just watching stuff that's unfolding here, but he's not here on earth experiencing it, nor will we. And God wants us to understand that point. You've been saved through Jesus Christ from this horrible wrath of God. A fourth reason why he wants us to know this truth is we need to warn unbelievers of the truth of the wrath of God. You see, if you refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're heading to this wrath. Worse than this. And this is bad. 
this wrath that will be in the tribulation, but you're heading worse to than this. You're heading to a place of eternal burning and weeping and gnashing and wailing, a place of eternal torment and darkness and torture. And finally, I think he also reveals this because when you read these things, if you are a sane-thinking person, it ought to scare you. I mean, you ought to, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I mean, and you look at a text like this, this ought to scare you and you ought to say, man, I want to be on the right side of God here. I don't want to be here when this stuff goes on. I want to have a right relationship with God. But you know, the tragedy of it is, as we just pointed out in verse 20 of Revelation chapter 9, is those that weren't killed by the plagues wouldn't repent. But certainly a text like this prompts us to invite people to repent. Come to Jesus Christ and never experience anything connected to God's wrath. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, here's what you need to know. Jesus Christ took the wrath of God on himself at the cross. When it comes time for you to go into eternity, that wrath of God is either going to be on him or it's going to be on you. Now, if you want the wrath of God to be on him and he takes it away from you, you need to invite him into your life to be your personal Savior, so do it right now. Otherwise, when you get before the Lord, the wrath will be aimed at you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the great promises of the scriptures that we will be gone, long gone, before this event occurs. But we thank you that we have the privilege of studying it. I pray that people that will listen to this study all across the world will respond to whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in their minds and hearts. I pray people would be saved and delivered from the evil one. I pray that people would realize Satan's not our friend. Demons are not our friend. They're our nightmare. And I pray people will be drawn to fall in love with you, the God of the Scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen.